11, we are on the home stretch. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 7. And we're going to get all the way through chapter 12, verse 8. And Lord willing, we're going to finish the series next week. The series is called Under the Sun. Now here's the name of the title if you're not looking at your bulletin. Here it is. Maybe it's on the screen. It's called Young and Ready. Now this message is for young people. However, how Solomon defines young people is going to surprise you all. I think it's going to surprise everyone. We'll get to that in a little bit. Well, the, uh, the Country Music Awards were this last week, so I thought it'd be fitting to pull out a few songs from the country music genre. Luke Bryan, country music star, has a hit song called Fast. It goes like this. 60 seconds now feels more like 30 Tick-tock, won't stop, around it goes. Sand through the glass, sure falls in a hurry. And all you keep trying to do is slow it down, soak it in, keep trying to make the good times last as long as you can, but you can't. Man, it just goes too fast. Now, I don't know if Solomon would have liked country music. I suspect probably not. But he would have agreed with Brian's assessment of the speed of life. And he used a word for it. The word is vanity. That word vanity means brief. Life goes quickly. And seemingly it goes faster as you age. If you're over 50, you're over 60, you're over 70, you know what I'm talking about. Life seems to pick up speed. Kenny Chesney says in his song, Don't Blink, he writes these lyrics, Trust me, friend, a hundred years ago goes faster than you think, so don't blink. I was glued to my TV when it looked like he looked at me and said, best start putting things first things first, because when your hourglass runs out of sand, you can't flip it over and start again. Take every breath God gives you for what it's worth. Now that's good advice. Solomon has some pretty good advice, too, and he aims it at the young people of his day, and it is just as powerful and relevant to the young people today. So I really want you to pay attention. This, this message is particularly preparatory for the young people. You're going to understand what I mean. I only have two points for you. Here's the first. It is a wise thing to enjoy life, especially when you're young. It's a wise thing to enjoy life, especially when you're young. Now, I'm going to say something that some of you are going to inwardly groan. Some of you are going to be really excited. We got our first snowstorm this last week. I love it. <clears throat> Can't get enough snow for me. It looks like it's going to be a long, hard winter. And some people, they're going to struggle with what we call in the counseling field, seasonal affect disorder. Acronym SAD. And one of the prescribed solutions that people are going to tell you if you struggle with this is take a January trip to the Caribbean, get some sunshine, and then March is going to roll around and the sun is going to peak out and it's going to promise spring and there's going to be a bit more bounce to your step, a little bit more happiness. Why? Because look at verse 7 of chapter 11. Everybody got your Bibles? I hope you're looking. Let's be in God's word together. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. 
And this feels kind of, if you've been in this series for a long time, for this duration of our, our weeks, this feels like a very surprising, upbeat tone from Solomon. It seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, he's been talking about death. This has been the death book. By the way, there's a lady here in this congregation. I love her. She's like the sweet, one of the sweetest women I've ever met. She came up last week and said, Pastor Tim, that sermon, I want to put my head in the oven. I had no idea what that meant, by the way. I truly did not. I thought maybe she wants to dry her hair, does have a blow dryer. I, I really didn't know. And then until somebody told me, because I shared that, because I thought it was kind of funny. I shared that and said, well, that's kind of how they killed each other in the old days. I'm going, oh my goodness. <laughs> she knows who she is. She's here right now. I want her to come up and tell me she'll never put her head in the oven again. <laughs> Light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Very upbeat. That's, that's Solomon speak. For saying what we might say, it's good to be alive. In verse 8, look at it, it's going to pick it up. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. You know, this is the seventh and the final time in the book of Ecclesiastes that we are told to enjoy life. But what many understand, or misunderstand rather, is what we're about to read in verse 9. Now, can we read this together? <clears throat> Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And it comes screeching to a halt, doesn't it? It was upbeat for a while. God will bring you into judgment. That's kind of sobering. What captures our eyes is that part. And unfortunately, we're really prone to misunderstanding this. So part of the privilege and the joy that I have today in this message is actually to straighten up what I think most of us have misunderstood. You know, we kind of think like this, life's a party, have fun, but remember this, God's watching everything. That's a cosmic killjoy. That's a joy killer. You know, growing up, my father, he was a... Um, well, let me put it the nicest way I can put it. He's just sometimes very irritable man. When my dad would come home, he worked really, really hard. A lot of hours, six days a week. Not the five that we're accustomed to anymore, but six, six days a week. Sunday was his rest day. But when he would come home from work, six of us kids, I'm the youngest, his ring finger would clink on the iron railing coming up the stairs like that every step. And all six of us kids would scatter. We'd go back to our bedrooms or more often outside to play. Because when dad was tired, you did not want to be around him. Because it wasn't going to take much provocation to get a spank. So we had a pool and we built it ourselves. He was a carpenter. So we built this pool ourselves. It was the biggest pool in the entire town. So everybody came up to swim at the Ackley Pool. But my dad had a really annoying thing that he would do. We would be out swimming, and he would be at the patio door that could see everything, and he would just stand there while all of us were swimming and having fun, making sure we weren't horsing around too much and getting in trouble. That's kind of a cosmic killjoy right there. Is that what God's doing? He's standing at the patio door, and he's watching everything and waiting for us to mess up, and he's going to give that scowly look on his face. 
know, that's not really it. The command that we have is rejoice in your youth, walk in the ways of your heart. And then judgment that Solomon tells us about is God's examination, listen, of how well we are enjoying life. Now, have you ever thought of it like that? That's a totally different way to look at this. Have you ever considered that before? That the judgment that Solomon's talking about, if you put it back in context, is not that God's watching everything that we're going to do wrong and writing a little note in his ledger. He's watching to see how well we're going to enjoy the, the gift of life that he has given to us. Now, I want you to begin with this thought. You ready? It's very easy, and there's a bit of a chain to it. Whatever God commands in the Bible, he expects to be obeyed. And furthermore, and this is very critical, whatever he commands, he gives us a grace to obey. Now, can we agree with that? If there's a command in the Bible, then God expects us to obey it. And if he's going to expect us, frail, sinful people, to obey it, he's going to supply the grace for his children to do it. So whatever God commands, he really means it, but he's going to give you the grace to do it. But it goes a little bit further. We stop a little bit prematurely. There's a bit of another layer. What God commands, we can and must obey in his grace. Now listen, you've got to finish the sentence. And we will be held accountable to it. Don't take that part out. If God commands it, he expects it. If he expects it, he gives the grace. And if he gives the grace, he's going to hold us accountable to living it. So com God commands us to rejoice. Did you know that's a command? That's a Hebrew imperative. That's a, a word for a command. He, and he commands us to rejoice, to let our hearts cheer us. And it's actually biblically nothing new. This is all through the Bible. We just somehow don't see it. I'll give you one example, Deuteronomy 28. All these curses, God says to Israel, shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed. Well, that's quite sobering. Because, why? Why, God? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with, please remember this, joyfulness and gladness of heart. Why? Because of the abundance of all things. So God commands his people to be joyful and glad. He gives us a power to be that way. Why? Because he's been so abundantly generous with us. He has given us so much. Now, Christian, I want to speak to you for a moment. So can you give me some thoughts that are going to hold to my words? Give me your mind that's going to hold to this. This is really important. How can we... Christian, of all people, not be the most happy? How can we not be joyful when we say that we are the friends of Jesus Christ, the children of the Heavenly Father, the blood-bought people of God? How can we not be joyful and happy when we understand that this entire earth was made for us? So that we can enjoy it, that we were made for God to enjoy. Did you know that you're made, that you were created for God to enjoy? That he takes pleasure in you. That your home or your apartment, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children, these are all gifts from God, from a God who not only knows what you need, but he wants you to be happy. We've been saved from hell. 
We've been guaranteed that salvation through an, an inheritance that you're not even ever going to be able to calculate. In fact, we get to draw on that inheritance even right now here on earth. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He gives us power. He helps us have joy and happiness. It's a deposit guaranteeing that there's a lot more to come. No wonder then that Ecclesiastes is always read by the Jewish people during their most joyful festival of the year, the festival of booths or Sukkot. They understood Ecclesiastes is all about joy and joyful undertones underscore it. God wants his people happy. Now let me tell you something that might overwhelm your mind. You ready? And I would write this down if I were you. Put it somewhere. The more joyful you are, the more like God you are. And that probably for some sounds a little bit at cross purposes with what you've always been taught because maybe you went to a church that was very legalistic there was not a lot of happiness not a lot of joy not a lot of positive praise that comes from the pulpit but i'm going to tell you the more joyful you are the more like god you will be Rejoice, verse 9, O young man. Let your heart cheer you. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now, admittedly, that very last part that I just read, in the sight of your eyes, the ways of your heart, sounds like Walt Disney could have wrote that scripture. Remember Cinderella, the Disney movie? Do you remember what she's saying? So reach for the sky. It's not as high as it seems. Just follow your heart. Go as far as... As your dreams, I mean, Disney in practically every movie tells you to follow your heart. I mean, pay attention to it. Almost every single animated movie that Disney has ever produced is going to claim and proclaim the words, follow your heart. I actually like the hard rock group Scorpions version of it. They actually have a song aptly titled called Follow Your Heart. Here's one of the verses. This is the time for yourself to be free. You got to follow your heart. This is the time in your life, and it's never too late to see the light in the dark. you got to follow your heart. Now, that's theology from the scorpions. Let me tell you the theology from the Bible. Nothing lies more to you than your own heart. Nothing will deceive you more than your own heart. This is what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then, th now listen, the heart of the natural person, meaning the heart of the person that has rejected Christ, works more like Jack Sparrow's compass from the Pirates of the Caribbean. It will lead you toward whatever you want most at the moment. That's what your heart does. If you're... A if you're not saved. What the gospel does through Jesus Christ is to give you a new heart. And then all of a sudden, Psalm 37.4 explodes in reality. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning, he's going to pour his desires into your heart so that you will want what God wants and you'll dislike and hate what God hates. But you've got to be walking with the Lord. Now, St. Augustine, way back in the 4th century or so, he had the most crazy statement. He said this, love God and do what you please. 
Wow. Love God and do what you please is brilliant. Because that's exactly what God asks us. And this is Solomon's point to young people. If you live your life looking for your happiness under the sun, you're not going to find it. It's nowhere on this earth. You will not find happiness anywhere and in anything under the sun. Not if you're disconnected from God. You will try. But Solomon says you're going to fail. But if you look above the sun to God, if you have a relationship with God through his son Christ, he will give you a new heart. He's going to flood it with joy. He's going to flood it with happiness so you can rejoice. So love God, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. And it is urgent that we learn that lesson now, young people, because there's a time coming when pleasure becomes very, very scarce. Now look at chapter 12, verse 1. Point number 2. It is a wise thing to prepare for aging and death, especially when you're young. And this is what Solomon says, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say have no pleasure in them. Now one of the things you need to do if you're going to be a really good student of God's word is in your mind sort of eradicate chapter divisions because they're very unhelpful in many cases. And this is one of the cases because when you get to, when you flip from chapter 11 over to chapter 12, it just subliminally tells you there's a new topic. Well, chapter divisions, in case you don't know this, they were not inspired from God. They're not in the original manuscripts. People have put those in there so that pastors can say, open up to Ecclesiastes 12. It's really why they're just handholds for you to be able to study the Bible. They're fabricated by people. So when you flip from chapter 11 to chapter 12, get rid of the division and realize Solomon is still talking to young people. He hasn't stopped yet. And he's saying if you wait till you're old to prepare for being old, you're too late. It's going to catch you by surprise. Terry Pratchett once joked, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. And if you're old, you know the reality of this. There, you know, there's a worldwide movement. This is huge, and it's gaining steam, by the way, picking up momentum. It's a worldwide movement helping people to discover amortality, not immortality, amortality. Which is simply where you just learn to ignore aging and death by living in a way that defies them both. Judith Regan, one of the immortal voices, said this, The key to successful aging is to pay as little attention to it as possible. But Solomon saw aging as not something to ignore because, listen, it's just Flat out inevitable. He says aging is something to prepare for. And he's speaking to young people to do that. He's counseling us to begin preparation when we are young. So let me read it again. Verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say I have no pleasure in them. When do, you be, when do you prepare? Before that day arrives. 
Now, you ready? Who are the young people? Is it 20-year-olds and younger? Millennial generation, 35 years and younger? Is it some of us boomers? It's very simple. Young people to Solomon are those that are not yet aged in the way that he's about to describe. If you're not aged and old, you're considered young. You could be 50 and 60 and 70 and young. And you still have an opportunity to prepare. And it's important to note that, that youth are those alive, look at verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. And that's Solomon's way of saying before old age settles in when light and warmth recedes. But how do you remember your creator? Well, this is what he's telling young people. That's probably most everybody in here. How do you remember your creator in your youth? How do you do this? Well, let's pick out two words, remember and creator, and let's kind of tease them apart a little bit. Remember here is not informational, like you're drawing back information. It's relational, like you're remembering who it is you love and who loves you. So remember, it doesn't mean to recall an event. It rem- it, it, it's telling you to remember the one who loves you enough to have created you. To love God, to walk with God, all the years that you've had. The more years you have to walk with God, the more preparation you are getting ready for to become old and aged. See, God created us to find joy in this life. Do you know that? He didn't create you to be glum. He didn't create you to be depressed. Well, you might say, Pastor Tim, I have an introspective and Inter, inter, uh, you know, introspective, interpersonal personality. I'm naturally quiet. You know, that's the way God created you. You're never going to change that. Don't try. He created you that way to be used by him for a purpose. Well, I have ADD and I'm like really extroverted and I am type A. That's the way God created you. And it's okay. You can learn to compensate so that it's not a weakness and it's actually a strength as you unfold the purposes of God in your life. Well, I was born with a handicap. Yes, because your creator decided that. And he has a purpose for that. And he's going to fill you with joy and help you rejoice even in the midst of limitations. See, God created you to find joy in this life. He created a world that was unmarred by pain. It was unmarred by death and suffering. And we each participated in its demise. We talked about that last week, that the moment you sinned, well, even before that, because you were born with a nature to sin, you're all participating, as well as myself, into the demise of this creation, into the, and, and into the inevitability of death. It's as if your hand, now listen, it's very evocative. It's as if your hand or my hand reached for that forbidden truth. Forget Adam and Eve for a moment, because if it was Tim Ackley in the garden, he would have done the same thing. You would have as well. So why did Adam and Eve do that? Why did they reach for that fruit? 
Why would you have done that? Why would I have done that? Well, it's precisely because they didn't really, truly trust that God desires their greatest joy and happiness. You know, that's the truth. That's the bottom of every single sin that we will ever commit. I really want you to think through that for a moment. At the root of every sin that we will ever commit is the absolute bedrock suspicion. God, you do not have my greatest happiness in mind. Therefore, I will go around you and I will pluck that fruit and I will bring my own happiness to me. That's every sin. And the lie of sin is that by disobedience, you can make yourself happier than God can make you. You can make yourself more satisfied than God can make you. You can make yourself more alive than God can make you. And would you reflect on that for a moment? Because that whispery deception is really below every sin. That this is about to make me happier, more fulfilled, more content, more satisfied than God can or ever will. To remember your creator in the days of your youth. Listen, it's to learn to battle that very lie with the truth that God created you to be happy. He alone knows how to do it. You can never bring yourself more joy than God can. Never. It's all bound up in the warp and the woof of remembering your creator. Now, really think about this for a moment. Because the name for God that Solomon has used all throughout this book is just simply God in English. He could have just simply said, remember your God. But creator, remember your creator. Listen, you know what that is? Wow, it's immediately humbling. Do you need that? Do you need humility? If you're in the Ackley family, you know that Tim Ackley needs humility constantly. Do you need humility? Remember, your creator is humbling. And not only that, but it's a way to remind young people that God takes care of all that he creates. Imagine, parents, for a moment, imagine giving a gift to your child, and they find no joy, no happiness in it. Isn't that an affront to you? Do you not get angry at their jealousy, or not jealousy, but their selfishness? See, love desire. just think about this. Love desires that the recipient will be satisfied and happy in order for the giver to be content. Now, let me say that again. If you're going to give a gift... It, it, for you to gain joy in that, they must be happy and satisfied with it. So to remember your creator is to be reminded of his purposes, his plan, his hopes for you. That were all bound up when he created you. God wants you. He wants to experience. He wants you to experience that which you were created for. Life. And even though sin has brought a curse on all of the life under the sun, everywhere you look on this planet, there is a cursed existence. And we're going to age and we're going to eventually die. Our creator will care for you. He will care for me every single day of our lives. And he will forever abolish both aging and, and death one day in heaven. You know, if you're really, really perceptive of Solomon, you probably are hearing this. Don't you hear anger? You read this whole book front to back, you're going to hear anger in Solomon towards aging and death towards his curse. 
Do you know that Solomon represents the heart of God? One greater than Solomon came, his name is Jesus. But Solomon is a type of Jesus. In other words, the way that Solomon is speaks to someone who's going to come later in history who is much greater than Solomon, that's Jesus Christ. So when you can start picking up undertones of Solomon's heart, what you're really seeing in its perfected state is what the heart of God looks like. And Solomon hates, he hates aging and he hates death. And he's just going to describe vividly both of them. And at the end of it, he's going to say in verse 8 that it's all vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, man, this stinks. This is horrible. And all of a sudden, he begins to describe to all young people what it's going to be like for you if you live long enough to age. And look what he's going to say. Ready? Follow along with me. When clouds return after the rain, he means when things don't improve after you get sick. You go from pain to pain, illness to illness. That's what it's like being elderly. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, that's the hands and the arms, and they begin to shake, and you can't still them. My grandfather was like that. The strong men are bent. Those are your legs. And they no longer have the strength to hold you upright. And the grinders cease because they are few. The teeth are gone or very rarely there. And your eyesight begins to fail because those who look through the windows are dimmed. You don't see very well anymore. It's hard to read even any longer. The doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low is the loss of hearing. You can't hear the normal sounds of life, the grinding of the wheat even out in the streets. And old age brings with it light or very little sleeping and one rises up at the sound of a bird. Even the littlest noise wakes you up when you're elderly. And all the daughters of song are brought low. That's the inability to sing like you once could. Your vocal cords aren't, aren't as elastic. They have become rigid. The elderly struggle with the fear of falling. Solomon says they are afraid also of what is high. And they often become very easily frightened because terrors are in the way. And their hair turns gray. The almond tree blossoms. And they shuffle instead of walk. The grasshopper drags itself along. And they lose their desire for almost anything because their desire fails the day of death is near there will be a funeral Solomon says that person is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets the light of life will be snuffed out he puts it very evocatively like a golden lamp in your dining room hanging from a silver chain, the chain snaps, the golden lamp crushes, it breaks. This is, this is imagery for death, verse 6. The body will break like a pitcher at a water well, or the wheel that cranks and lowers that pitcher down breaks. It can no longer raise it up. And the body will be laid below the ground, and the spirit will go on to face his or her eternal destiny. And Solomon says, it is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Young people, that's me, by the way. That's most of us in here. Death will be, be upon us before we know it. Life is brief and it passes quickly. 
You know, when the Vicomte de Tehran was mortally wounded at the Battle of Salzbach in 1675, you know what he said? He's dying on the field of battle. He speaks to his aide these words. I did not mean to be killed today. Life can be ending in a flash. So it really begins to make a premium, put a premium on the questions I'm about to ask. Are you ready? Are you enjoying life right now as a gift from God? Are you enjoying life right now as a gift from God to you? Are you walking with your creator, storing up relational memories so that you can remember your creator even as the days of aging draw near? Are you joyful despite living in this crazy, twisted world, knowing that your heavenly father is absolutely in control? Are you still joyful, even in the midst of a trial? Are you preparing for aging and death, even now while you're young, by remembering and loving and walking with your creator today? Are you content with exactly how God has made you? Personality, physical features, state of life. Friends, this is how life is meant to be lived, to remember our creator while we are young. That's what wisdom looks like. Take your youthfulness and the power and the energy that goes with it. Use it for the kingdom of God. And as you age, keep remembering your creator. And when your days of aging and elderliness come, you are going to be well ready for it. And you will experience blessings even at the end. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.